0: This is episode four of the Raising Wildlings podcast and part two of our two-part series with Dr. Justin Coulson. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. And welcome to the second part of this two-part series. I'm your host Vicki Oliver and today I'm continuing the conversation with Dr Justin Coulson as we delve into some common concerns about our children and their early academic success. Specifically we'll be talking about falling behind during the current isolation schooling experience, school readiness and we're going to talk about our expectations around homework and we're also going to touch on the role of sibling rivalry. Now, Justin is sought after for his expertise in family life, relationships and well-being and he is the founder of Happy Families. And as I said last week, Justin not only knows a lot about parenting and positive psychology, he lives it. He and his wife Kylie are the parents of six daughters. So he really walks the talk. I know that many of you will still be beaming after last week's episode. I know I'm still dwelling on the imagery he painted when looking at your children with soft eyes. If you haven't had a listen yet, head to episode three of the Raising Wildlings podcast to hear our conversation on emotional regulation. And while you're there, hit subscribe or follow. And if you have a spare minute, you may also wish to leave us a five star review. But now let's dive back into the conversation. I'd like to start with this question because play is something that's really important to us at Wildlings. But how important is play right now compared to, say, worrying about falling behind academically?
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I'm not big on um, creating lists of priorities because every family is Mm. going to be in a slightly different situation. I suspect, though, after your great conversation with Peter Gray, that you are going to know that my position Mm. on play is fairly aligned and uh, we really want to be encouraging our children to play and explore, create, grow, push past their Mm. limits and, you know, just – do those yeah. things that are a little bit scary for them so that they can build their resilience? Uh, I, I think that that's really where we want to be focusing. But let me let me just address the whole home learning thing that's been happening in our schools or in our homes for the last mm. little while because of the coronavirus pandemic. I've spoken with countless parents who are worried that their children are going to fall behind. I, I understand the concern, but it, it is essentially mm. without foundation. Missing out on a couple of months' worth of school is not going to have any adverse impact on our children's well-being or their academic achievement or their life outcomes. It's it's simply mm. not going to have that impact. And what I really want to emphasise, uh, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with a mum just the other day. She said we're doing. Mm. She had a grade five daughter. She said we're school from eight thirty in the morning until four thirty in the afternoon I'm not getting anything done the house is a mess I'm an absolute wreck I'm just so tired from trying to teach my daughter and be mm-hmm. the school teacher I'm not the teacher and I said stop just stop stop, <laughs> stop 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 because it's not going to help her when she gets back to school there's going to be a bunch of kids that haven't kept up but but even so when children go to school there's this beautiful flow and rhythm that they get into they're not learning from nine till three what they're doing is they're they're showing up and they're spending some time with friends they're engaging in social play then they're going into the school having their their names marked off the roll. there might be a little bit of conversation a bit of lesson content then they're breaking up Mm -hmm. into groups they're doing activities they're doing some work they're going for a bathroom break or for a walk to the next classroom or to the library or to their sport or PE they're having a recess break there's there's this wonderful ebb and flow to the day where there's higher and lower intensity where there's uh, really active learning and then some nice uh, you know younger mm-hmm. children are sitting in reading corner and listening to them read them a story there's there's all kinds of things that break up that day and for a child to be sitting at home and doing zoom calls and google hangouts and microsoft team meetings and i mean as an adult if yes. you've got to sit through a full day of that it is
0: absolutely exhausting. exhausting and to put
1: our children through it i'm not going to yeah, yeah. I'm more concerned about the well being impacts of that on our children than them missing a little bit of school and having a bit of extra time to play or even hang out on their favourite games online.
0: Yeah. And I think there's this danger in making them really pull away from a love of learning if we're doing it in the wrong way. If, if you're forcing them to do it in a way that is not the nature of children then they're not going to want to engage in more learning though that's where parents i think are finding a lot of resistance as well as and because you're at home with your child there's a different relationship to a teacher child relationship as a parent child relationship so there is going to be a lot of difficulty in replicating that at home
1: what i would say is learning is important and we should make sure that it happens and what i've been Mm. suggesting to parents is if you've got kids who are in primary school about an hour to an hour and a half maybe two at the most is is plenty of learning. Then you want to make sure that lots have active outside play. You know, we, nature is fuel for the soul, and they need mm. to be out there. And they need to be poking up the sun and jumping on the trampoline, riding their bike, and going for a walk around the neighborhood, taking the dog with them. You yes. know, that's the sort of stuff that they've got to be doing. Sitting in front of a screen and doing another. Unnecessary classroom call or working on another worksheet that's only going to be revised in a couple of weeks when school is one hundred percent back for everybody. There is no, there is no need for it. I just don't think that it's in our children's best interest.
0: Mm. Thank you for that. I think that that will put a lot of parents' minds at ease because I know that it has caused a lot of stress for so many people. One of the other questions that we get asked a lot, and I am sure you do too, is how can I ease sibling rivalry or fighting in our house? Whether it's now because we've Hipped up together a little bit more, or any time in general. I know that sibling rivalry is definitely a hot topic.
1: I I love the conversation, and I think that I I don't want to make people feel silly for pricking up their ears and saying, "Oh, yes, that's my problem too." Mm. But but I think we need to really consider the foundations of the question. What do I mean by that? Well, let's let's look at this in an adult context. I I love to bring the problems that we have with our children into the adult context just to highlight. Oh, mm, me too. We can sometimes be so unfair on our kids. So, mm-hmm. so, so here's this situation: if if you're following the typical developmental pattern of most adults, you've entered adulthood, you've dated and spent some time getting to know other people, and then you found the one. You know, the one that's the answer to your mm. prayers, the one who's the fulfillment of your dreams, the one you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so you make a commitment to that person. In many cases, you'll marry that person and say, I want to be with you for the rest of my life till death do us part. This is what it's all about. Some people talk about being together forever because you're my Mm. And what I've found is really interesting about this is that even our soulmate, even the person that we love more than anyone else in the world, the person we actually chose to be with drives (laughs) up the wall. Uh, Sometimes we have arguments. Sometimes we kick them out. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes we make them sleep on the car. Sometimes we don't want to talk to them for three or four days. uh, And and this is the person who is our everything. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to make light of those situations where it really does get bad because I know that it does. But I I think my point is is, is sufficient. You get what I'm saying. Our poor kids, they didn't choose to have to share the house with this sibling that came along. They didn't want to have to Mm -hmm. share a bedroom with them. They don't want to have to be... Cooped up with this other person that they don't like and have nothing in common with, except the same biological uh, patterns because of their parents. They, they didn't ask for this, and yet we're, we're like, "You kids have got to get along." That breaks my heart when you are not getting along. Mm. ask adults this as well. How old were you before you actually started to genuinely appreciate and enjoy being around your siblings? Full stop.
0: Oh yeah, for me, mine was definitely as an adult, <laughs> right for sure. And, and I know
1: some, you know, I like. Well, we live in a state, and even that twice a year catch up is a little bit much. Mm. E- even as adults with our own siblings, we're like. But we look at our children. And we're like, no. But you need to be different. You need to love your.
0: You need to be best friends. You've got to be
1: best. Now I know that there are some people listening, and they say, "I'm my sister's best friend," or "I'm my brother's best friend." That's mm. wonderful if that's you, but it's also pretty darn unusual. So yeah. I, I think we've just got to get our expectations right. I'm I'm less interested in my kids being best friends. What I'm interested in is the the way their relationships work and. The way relationships work is that we go through processes of fracturing and rupturing and restoration. Mm. Well, I want my children to learn in their relationships how to make restoration and get along with people even when they can be tricky. Much more yeah. than I want them to be best friends or even to get along all the time. In fact, mm. there's some reasonable evidence that would suggest that children in big families can sometimes end up being a little more socially flexible and socially adaptable because they've had to learn how to get along with people that were a little bit challenging from time to time. Whereas if you're you're on your own or you've just got one sibling, uh, there tends to be a little less conflict and a little less social navigation and negotiation that's required. So I I actually think that sibling rivalry sibling contest sibling competition and frustration so long as it doesn't turn nasty and ugly and and violent or turn into bullying it can be one of the most useful tools for our Mm. Of well-being and, and and emotional intelligence that there is.
0: It's sort of like a practice run, isn't it, for the real world? You get to have all the conflict resolution skills practiced on someone <laughs> regularly, yeah. and someone that will usually forgive you in the long run. Um, you've got a lot of time to to work out the problem, so it's it's a good place to practice. And when you look at
1: when you look at the way siblings have been, now I've I've done a little bit of research into this and came up with a couple of uh, examples where siblings really pushed each other to be better. So I'm thinking of Venus and. In Williams mm. I'm thinking of yep. I'm thinking of the Wright brothers the guys that invented the yeah. Wright. You know if you read about their history they used to argue with each other horrendously over their their plans and their designs and their ideas but but what they learned to do was to argue so effectively that Orville could convince Wilbur that he was right at the same time that Wilbur convinced Orville that he was right. And Orville was, <laughs> arguing, for Orville was arguing for Wilbur's position and they, like, they really learned how to, how to get along through thick and thin. And I guess what I'm getting at here is relationships are always going to go in and out of conflict and in and out of restoration. That's yeah. the nature of relationships. Our job, if I swing it all the way back to your original question, our job is not to teach our kids to get along perfectly. Mm-hmm. Our job is also not to teach our kids to fight there. I hate that phrase because we don't really want to be mm. fighting. What our job is, is to help our children to learn that other people have perspectives and viewpoints that may not always be in harmony with ours. Yeah. We need to learn how to have empathy for those viewpoints, to have compassion, especially for a little mm. sister who's not as big and not as strong and not as versatile with mm. the used language. Uh, and, and then, to work together to find suitable solutions that give people outcomes that work, and when we get it wrong, to know how to go and say sorry. Oh, can I talk about how to say sorry?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes, how to apologise is—I uh, don't think many people have that as a key skill that they're very good at. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so, for sure. A, a few
1: years ago, I used to live across the road from a psychologist, and we had some fantastic conversations, and and I just loved having her as a neighbour. We we had a delightful. Uh, our, our kids played with their kids, and we we really had a, a wonderful relationship. But there was. One conversation that always stuck with me where we had a big rupture in our relationship and that was mm. the issue of Getting kids to apologize. So her position was basically, my children need to apologize if they do the wrong thing. Mm. Well, y- yes, I agree with that. My children also need to apologize when they do the wrong thing, but I'm not going to force them to. And she's, yes. oh no, 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 my children, they don't get to have, you know, they don't get to do the next thing. They don't need to. We don't move on until they've apologized. And and my my argument was essentially, what? So you're teaching your children to lie? Yeah. And she said, no, 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 they're not lying. They they are sorry. And even if they're not sorry now, they will be later. Oh, <laughs> well, that sounds bad. Um, like Vicky. Uh, You've heard it. You might have even done it with your own kids. I know I've done it with mine when I've been having a moment of weakness. They do the wrong thing. You say, you say sorry to your sister. Yeah. Fine. Sorry.
0: Yeah, and it's so in, inauthentic and insincere, and they're not actually sorry at all. Yeah,
1: they're, they're spitting it across the room. They're not sorry. am sorry mm. they got caught. Exactly. And, and so what I actually think, instead of telling them to lie, and instead of telling them to, I mean, the apology really matters, but I want, I want them to be sorry because they're sorry. Mm. So I've taught my kids that if they're not sorry right now, then when they are sorry, they do need to apologize. And an apology has four steps. In in my book, an apology, there's the two words, I'm sorry. Now, that they're important words, and they need to be said, but they... They need to explain what they're sorry for. Yeah. I'm sorry for stealing your important thing. I'm sorry for hitting you. I'm sorry for calling you a name. And then they need to explain step three, how they're doing that affected their sibling. I'm sorry mm. for calling you a name. It made you feel like I hate you. And it was an untrue and unkind thing to say. I'm sorry for stealing that thing that matters to you. You couldn't find it when you needed it. And then you had to go out and you didn't have it. So they're showing. Mm. they have they have empathy and perspective they get how what they've done has affected the other person and then the final step which I think is the most important and powerful of the whole process is once they've said I'm sorry for doing this it made you feel like that or it impacted you in this way step four is will you forgive me Mm. and you know I just don't think that there are enough people in the world who know how to actually ask for forgiveness and I teach my kids no. This because you know you know what what's the typical response if I said to you oh Vicky I'm really sorry about that thing sorry what's your typical response to that
0: that's okay hmm.
1: but but guess what sometimes it's not okay no you know like sometimes people do things that are not okay and when we say that's okay there's well it's almost like we're letting letting them off the hook now I'm not yeah you know, I'm not saying they've got to pay a price or anything but but there's this. There's almost a dismissal of the seriousness of what's occurred when we're saying that's okay.
0: And then they're not really taking accountability for their action. You know, yeah, letting them off the hook.
1: Yeah, yeah. But when we say, will you forgive me, it's very easy for us to then say yes while still honouring the fact that something grave may have occurred. Mm. When I say to my wife, honey, I'm so sorry that I lost my temper before. I'm so tired. I overreacted. And it left you feeling like you're not good enough and it had nothing to do with you. Will you forgive? me?
0: Mm.
1: Now, if she's if she was say it's okay. Well, it's not. But when I say, will you forgive me? Mm. She's not saying it was okay. She's just saying, yes, I forgive you for doing what you did. And that's very, very different. That's, that's not letting me off the hook as much as it's saying what you did was wrong, but because I love you, I'll forgive you. So I think that there are important things that kids can do when they've got to say sorry and you can't fake that stuff. You've actually got to say it because you mean it. That's
0: right and I think that's really great advice for people and it's having those little things to actually teach our kids, to model to our kids as well because I think the best way for children to learn is to actually see that in action from the adults around us. So if we can model that ourselves in situations, it's a lot easier for them to pick up the language and for them to implement themselves.
1: Try it with your kids tonight because I'm sure that sometime, yeah, 24 hours, you're going to do something that's not right towards your kids. That's what
0: Oh, like we, I'm, cry- I'm always apologising to my kids. I, it's actually one of the cornerstones of my parenting is that if I think that I've done the wrong thing, I'll always apologise, but I definitely think there's some room, room for improvement and I really like the will you forgive me part. I'm definitely going to be adding that to my repertoire. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's powerful. And watch what happens as they fall into your arms and- mm, I, mean, I forgive you. Yeah,
0: that's excellent. Another question I'd love to get your input on is your thoughts on homework.
1: Yeah, really simple thoughts on homework. For children who are up to at least grade seven,
0: Mm.
1: homework is the, I I think Alfie Cohn said, homework is the most reliable (laughs) way to extinguish the love of learning in a child. I think uh, he said something, I'm paraphrasing him quite badly there. Um, Mm. What I would suggest is that when we look at the research globally, um, as a general rule, homework has no meaningful positive impact on children's academic outcomes until at least high school mm. and it may be the most reliable way to make them unmotivated reason being if they're already across the working class it's kind of boring reinforcement now I know some kids are happy to come yeah. home and do that reinforcement work, if they are I'm not going to say stop it. if they can already do it they're going to be bored if they want to do it Fine, let them do it because the reinforcement won't hurt. But there's no, no real advantage to it. Uh, but if they if they can't do it, they're going to just feel horrible. They're, they're going to feel so demotivated and demoralized and they go to school the next day feeling even worse. They, they lose their love of learning. They lose their interest in
0: mm. because they
1: feel so incompetent. So there's, there's one exception to that. What I suggest is that if your kids are um, of school age, they should be reading every day. I don't consider that homework. I just consider reading's what we do, right? Like reading reading's yeah. fun. It's not yeah. homework. Reading.
0: It should be. Yeah.
1: And, and that's pretty much it. The, the data would suggest that once your kids get to about grade seven, grade eight, they should be doing a little bit of homework and have an impact by the time they're in their senior years of school from grade nine on, uh, probably one to two hours a night is going to have a, a positive impact on their academic outcomes doing more than about two hours you're probably going to start yep. to see that reverse a little bit because it's it's so draining and they're not getting enough sleep they're not getting enough physical, physical mm. they're not having enough of a social life all those other things that are important.
0: What are your thoughts on the current academic pushdown? and I think probably what we're trying to get to the crux of here what do you say to parents when they want to know if their child is ready for school or if they should delay starting school?
1: So I'm not big on generalizations because typically. Nobody's really average, you know. We, yeah. we, get, we get all these average findings in psychology and in education research and nobody actually fits the average. But this is one area where I actually do tend to have a fairly blanket position and I came to it very late. I wish I'd come to it much earlier. Mm. We didn't actually get to this position until our last daughter was ready to start school. So all six of our kids mm. have either gone through or are currently in school. Uh, but my yep. position now is very, very firmly... That the longer you can keep your children out of formal schooling, the better. When we look at
0: wow, that's interesting. When
1: we look at the results from around the world, it seems that children who start school later just do better. And it's not just compared to their same um, the, the the same grade level peers. Mm. It's it's in in every way that you can look at it. They're more mature, they're more socially adept, they're more able to you remember that conversation we started about emotional regulation?
0: Mm. Stick
1: a four-year-old in a classroom, they just don't have the same emotional regulation capacity as a six-year-old. Yeah. And yet we've
0: got absolutely we've got
1: various states around this country that are pushing children into school earlier and earlier and starting to begin that formalized learning program. And then we've got things like NAPLAN and other um, nationwide standardized tests that are forcing younger and younger children to demonstrate their academic competence at you know at, at earlier and earlier stages of their development and frankly mm. it, it's it's abysmal and the the data doesn't support its usefulness especially when you compare it to countries that aren't doing this but yeah. in the world and the education stakes and, and i'm not going to be original here i'm going to do the same thing that anyone who's read about this sort of stuff would say and i would say yeah. look at look at places like finland and those nordic <laughs> yeah, We we don't send our children. Oh, well, they send their kids to school pretty young, but they have a play-based uh, early years program. And when I say early, I mean, mm. up to the age of six or seven, they don't start formalized curricula until the kids are about seven years of age. They don't start mm. writing in class until they're about six or seven years of age. And by the time they're 11, they're in front of the kids that started at four.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's... It- so important for more parents to understand this because it's just not filtering through when it comes to policy, educational policy and the changes that need to be made in schools. It it's just keeps going the opposite way. Um, And if more parents know and can feel confident that they're doing the right thing by their children, whatever their choices are, we get get a lot of parents who are so worried about getting their children even into kindy programs or that they're going to fall behind if they've never been in some sort of formal, you know, educational program. There's heaps of different options out there for your children to be experiencing learning environments that aren't necessarily formal Educational institutions, and that there are lots of options out there for them.
1: There, there are options, and and if you've got the time, capacity, and resources to pursue them, then I think they definitely do. Mm. The one thing that I have made a decision with my own family, because of you know the fact we've got six kids and I'm travelling a lot, there's mm. a lot of the uh, the family work that needs to be done. Is we've we've actually stuck with a fairly traditional school orientation model. Our kids, our kids mm. go to a, a low fee. Uh, private school down the road, and I, I really do mean low-fee private school, mm. wonderfully, wonderfully affordable. Um, <laughs> and, and we chose the school because their approach is that they don't do homework yeah. until senior years of school. They don't encourage NAPLAN at all and they've got a really wonderful integration of grades so so kids go across grade levels they're not only mixing with children their own age and they've got a whole lot of mm. philosophical things that fit really neatly with the way we wanted our children to experience schooling and so that's that's worked for us but our, our big decision really in relation to your question was we looked at our youngest daughter and the preschool that she was going to, or the, you know, kindergarten, depending on which, you know, the yeah, school, uh, every state has a different name for it. While she yeah. was there, they all said, oh, look, she's she's advanced. She's doing great compared to the other kids. She's ready to go up. And I hear this all the time, right? Every parent,
0: mm. same
1: thing. So I'm not I'm not boasting about my child. She was, she was developmentally where she was supposed to be. She was doing really well. And they said, yeah, she's definitely ready for big school. And I said, well, she might be ready, but... She can have another year just being a kid and playing with zero curriculum and zero pressure. She can just have fun. And you know what? She had a ball playing the next
0: year. Mm. And now
1: this year that she started big school, She's shown up at big school and she's just got that bit of extra maturity and she loves it. And she, you know, she's a delight. The teachers can't get enough of her. Her learning is accelerated, not be, not because we're trying to you know turn her into a I don't know the next Nobel Prize whenever but because
0: no, but she's ready. She's,
1: yeah, she's she was already ready, but she's had that extra year to grow up. And yeah, I just keep on saying to parents, Vicky, six years old. Is still a baby. Mm. I mean I I I can pick up my six year old and I can squeeze her in my arms. Me too. I just think why are we trying to push these kids into growing up so fast? There's no reason for it. Slow it down, let them play. Mm. And if they go to school a year later, it's okay. In fact, it's probably Mm. darn good for them.
0: Sometimes I think people think that we stop learning when we finish school, or like that there's this finite time when learning can occur. And I just keep thinking the amount of things that I have learnt post-university even would rival what I learnt at school and that our entire life is a learning process and that if they do miss out on something at school, it doesn't mean that we've lost that opportunity forever. We can always catch up and there are always ways in which we will learn the things that are relevant and important to us through our lifetime. And I think that's important for parents to remember. It just takes a little bit of that pressure off.
1: Vicky, I've done a lot of thinking about this. My, my sense is that... The reason some people may stop learning once they finish school is because we've taught them to hate learning. We've taught them that learning, or mm. that it's no fun. And I was, I was that yeah. kid, by the way. I hated. I, I was that. I was the boy you don't want to have. Uh, and, yeah. And just made such a mess of my my formalized schooling years. I went back to school when I was in my late twenties, mm. and. and I stayed there for eight and a half years as a full-time student because <laughs> I fell in love with learning and what I've actually done now, this is this is provocative and this is controversial and this will mm-hmm. lie in the face of what a lot of parents think is important because we've got, our, we've got our idea of success and I'm going to suggest something that turns that on its head in some ways. Success is about more than the degree on the wall, success is mm-hmm. more than the kind of car you're driving in the driveway. Success is about the kind of person you become and I think your attitude towards learning will have a huge impact on the kind of person that you become so with my children I've actually told them that I don't want them to go straight to university out of high school I want them to leave high school and go and get a job a full-time job and learn what it is to go and I don't know and I don't say this in a derogatory way I don't say that in any yeah. negative way. Uh, I, I just want them to experience the contrast and work out what matters to them. I want them to go and get a low school mm-hmm. job where they learn, earn very little money and they've they got very little power and very little agency and choice in their work where they pretty much just mm-hmm. clock on, do what the boss says and then come home eight hours later. That, that kind of work. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people may be thinking now that I'm about to step into privilege and snobbery. I promise you that's not where I'm going with this. Thing is, yeah. When I used to be a university lecturer, when I used to have literally thousands of first-year uni students come through my undergraduate courses in psychology, what I saw was a whole lot of kids who had just gotten through school and just had to go to uni because that's just what they were expected to do and P's get degree, mm. I want to get out of uni and get on with my life. Mm-hmm. That is such a dysfunctional way to learn. And I, when I marked their grades... Vicky you know, they were just passing many of them weren't passing yeah I would I would say to them I want to help you get a high distinction and if you'll talk to me I'll help you to get it and they didn't care they didn't want, they didn't want the high distinctions they just wanted to finish they wanted to get through university
0: and then you I want to have professionals in their field who were there and and they loved the learning and they wanted to know everything yeah. that they could know about their field so that they could show up the best in the best ways that they could for the people that they're serving
1: you're exactly when you're sending your kids to school do you want them to go to school with a guy or a girl as their teacher who just did what they had to do so that they could get through or do you want them to be with a teacher who lived it and loved it do you want to catch yeah. a pilot who just did what he had to do to get through uh, when you go and see an orthopedic yes. surgeon because you've you don't got a major medical issue. Do you want that orthopedic surgeon that I just scraped through? I mean, we we have this this standard or this expectation and it's so important. And, and the phrase that I use with my daughters is this, I don't want you to go through university. I want university to go through you. If you discover that you feel like you could make a greater contribution to the world by pursuing something else, you're going to go back to university with a completely different mindset. And I thought Absolutely. You know, as, a, as a uni lecturer, I saw the people who were there because they knew that they had something to do that Mm. where where that uh, you know I love the metaphor I can't remember who it was that said it but it was one of those ancient philosophers who said that some people look at uh, the mind as a vessel to be filled (laughs) but it's not it's a flame to be kindled
0: Mm. and
1: and I I loved it when I had somebody in one of my university classes who was there they were almost always mature age you know they'd been out of uni for or yeah. they'd been at uni and tried a few things, and now they'd finally found psychology, uh, and, yeah. and, and and there was just such a, there was such a passion, there was such an interest, such a thrill, such a desire for them to be there. They wanted to engage with the material, they mm-hmm. wanted to understand it, they wanted to wrestle with it, they wanted to argue with me. They and yeah. there was such a difference in the way they approached their learning because they were actually there to learn rather. than. Mm. The degree was secondary, and 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 frankly, that's how it was for me. The degree became secondary. I was less interested in getting the piece of paper. I nearly didn't show up to my graduation. I was just so excited about everything else.
0: Yeah, and that's that's when you know you've inspired you've you found that true love of learning. And I, I do worry that so many kids have lost that. And not only have they lost it, they're under this pressure to feel like they've got to pick something. Like you say, like the the advice you're giving your children to not go to university straight away. I hear so many stories, and I was a high school teacher um, in maths and science, and they, they, children feel so much, or teenagers I should say, so much pressure to choose something, to know what it is they should be doing. And I, for me now, I'm not sitting in the career that I decided to choose straight out of high school. Um, I don't regret it, mind you, but things in life change, and you're not meant to know when you're 16 or 17 what profession you might step into for the rest of your life, or that you're going to dedicate years of study towards because you might find other life experiences way more valuable than the piece of paper.
1: So glad you said that. Uh, I, I know that time's probably running out, but two quick two quick things that I'll pick up oh. on in what you said. The first is that when I do my uh, presentations in schools, not that I'll be doing those for a while, uh, when <laughs> I do my presentations in schools back pre-coronavirus, uh, I would ask the students if I was talking to year 12, or the parents if I was talking to the adults, uh, can you please put up your hand if either your parents or you as an adult, are, are still doing now in your you know, 40s or 50s what you thought you would be doing when you left school and went to uni or left school and started a career. Mm-hmm. And usually about, oh, about 20% of adults put their hand up. And, and then I, I make this point really clear. That means that about 80% of the people in the room, when they left school and they'd made their decision, and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. in mind at least once, yeah. After they got their degree, or after they worked in their yeah. career for a certain amount of time, and and when I say that to students, you can see the pressure. The yes. They're like, oh, oh, wow, I don't have to worry. Uh, mm. And and the other thing that I want to just quickly do is recommend a book. So there's mm. a book that I read last year. It was my book of the year in 2019. The book yep. was by a, a Harvard Graduate School of Education professor by the name of Todd Rose. I found him because he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The End of Average, which was extraordinarily good. I loved the book. But this one, I loved even more, at least the first three quarters. The last quarter was very much about the American system, wasn't quite so relevant for, for, for us in Australia. But the book is called Dark Horse, Dark Horse. And it's, re- it's about all these people who really didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up and made choices later in life that not only changed their lives, but in many cases changed the world. And again, it just highlights that we've got this education system that requires that our children sit through 13 years of formalized schooling and they check the boxes and they do the thing and we teach them to hate learning because it's all about achievement. Yeah. Our education system is about achievement and achievement by by definition, by definition in our education system at, at least and probably more broadly, excellence and achievement means mm-hmm. doing better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah. what Todd Rose in his book, Dark Horse, is arguing is that fulfillment matters more than achievement. And if mm-hmm. our, ch- our children find fulfillment, then they're probably going to achieve extraordinary things
0: anyway. That's brilliant. I'm going to look that one up. That sounds really good. I recommend. Thank you. Well, and that actually I'll I'll wrap up with a few of our rapid fire questions. All right, really quickly. Favorite book and why? Uh,
1: Favorite book. You know what? I'm going to go right back to the very beginning and the thing that kicks me off on this journey. When I was a radio announcer and starting to discover that there was more to life than radio, I read read a book called Punished by Rewards by (gasps) Al.
0: Yes, I love Alfie and,
1: and while I wouldn't actually say that it's a brilliant book because now that I've got the PhD and I understand what he's done with some of the research, he might have opened mm. some of it a little bit much and gone a little bit far with some of it, uh, it changed my life. It put me on the track yeah. that I'm now on. And so therefore that would, have to be, that would have to be near the very, very top of my list. Dark Horse last Excellent. year, that was another ripper as well. And I could go on. I love books. I read about 40. <laughs> yeah, that's enough for now.
0: Uh, what piece of advice do you wish someone had told you as a new parent?
1: You know, they actually tried to tell me, but I was too stubborn and too pig-headed and too inflexible. Aren't we all? (laughs) I remember when my little one, uh, my my firstborn, was just 18 months, maybe two years old, and she was being obstinate and defiant and oppositional. And my grandma said to me, Justin, you're being very hard on her.
0: Mm.
1: I wish that I'd listened. I wish I'd learned. Mm. Softer, sooner. I wish I'd learned to be compassionate faster, because that may be that may be one of the most important things that I've learned.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for that. If you're having a rough day with your kids, uh, where's your favourite place for you and your family to go to reset, reconnect, (laughs) and rebalance?
1: We go to my bedroom. I lay down on my bed, (laughs) and we play push dad off the bed.
0: Oh, that sounds like fun. That's (laughs) it gets a little
1: bit rough, uh, but nobody's broken an arm yet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sometimes a bit of rough, rough and tumble plays exactly what everyone needs. And the last one, how do you create freedom in your day or your life? Like how a bit of self care.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Self care is something that I, I actually resist a little bit, Uh, not at a person level, but at a philosophical level, because sometimes I've I've worked with some parents who see self care as the be all and end all, and their children Mm. suffered because of it. When I look at what the very best research says, and it's consistent with uh, ancient wisdom. In any of the ancient wisdom literatures that you can read, not just uh, religious traditions, but in philosophical traditions, the very best ancient wisdom is consonant with the very best modern-day cutting-edge psychological. Science. Yeah, and that is that caring for yourself doesn't bring us nearly as much well-being, joy, and happiness as much meaning or purpose as caring for others and finding ways to give yourself in service to others. When we mm. to others we don't seem to need to care about ourselves nearly so much. So I, I think that there's just tremendous joy and delight to be found in doing what we can to serve and look after others. Having said that,
0: That's really nice. Of
1: course, we've still got to make sure we get enough sleep and we've got enough, make sure that we yeah. eat the right stuff and exercise and all that kind of thing. And so I, I certainly work hard on those things. But every single day, I love to sit down with my family and say, who'd you help today?
0: Mm, oh that's nice
1: I think those conversations that's a great that's my answer
0: thank you so much Justin it has been an absolute pleasure to hear all of your responses to the things I've had to ask and just the wisdom and just the permission for parents to think about things a little bit differently and to not be so hard on ourselves I think that is really valuable for our listeners so thank you so much and hopefully we'll be in contact and maybe we can chat again about so many other topics because we've only just really scratched the surface.
1: Well, it's been so nice to talk to you Vicky and thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been a real a real delight and pleasure.
0: Well, I have taken away so much from this conversation. I hope that you found some comfort in knowing that your children are going to be okay during this unprecedented time. Just remember too that you know your child best. Emotional health comes before academics and to trust your instincts. I hope that you found this conversation valuable and we are so grateful to be able to share these perspectives with you. If you'd like any further information, you can head to our show notes where we'll have links to any of the things that we've discussed today and you can access that at www.wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash Raising Wildlings 4. Don't forget to check out our free resource, including our printable, with some helpful phrases to keep in mind so that you can connect before you correct when your children are having big feelings. Before we go, we've got a huge favour to ask. We would love for you to subscribe or to follow the podcast Raising Wildlings so that we can make sure more parents can learn the importance of play and how children learn. Or we love seeing videos of you listening to your favourite part. So send those through. We love sharing your posts. Thank you so much for joining me today. We absolutely love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild.